0: Welcome back to Jokerman. We are joined once more by Steve Gunn, and we're here to talk Tempest, and we're talking the other side of Tempest, another side of Tempest. Uh, It's the one with Tempest on it.
1: (laughs) The good side of Tempest.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, the first side is good too. Gotcha. You said yeah.
1: Oh, crap. I gotta go, guys. (laughs) It's all coming crumbling down. The better side of Tempest. The, certainly the uh, longer side of Tempest. We can all agree on that. That's so true. Uh, but before we get there, we do, as always, need to discuss the cover of Tempest, which uh, Evan, I believe you would like to contend is a good cover and not a bad cover. Is it a good cover? I thought you were saying it was a good cover when we were talking about the covers.
0: Oh, you mean me? That I I'm said saying the- you. Oh, yes, I think it is a good cover. That's what I said. <laughs> uh, I, I don't remember exactly where the, um, the, the, the statue list, is from. A listener
1: messaged us uh, this recently. It's some statue somewhere in Germany that's it, meant to represent one of the... F- it's it's one of a series of four statues together, like in a fountain, um, uh, that represent represent the four major rivers in Germany, like the Danube... And the Rhine, and two other ones that I don't know, and so this Uh, the the Duquesne River, yeah, uh, the Duquesne River, yeah, and um, all um, all all those rebel rivers, yeah, right, yeah, the Scarlet Town River, good one, Uh, you know, they can't all be winners. Uh, It's a statue in Germany that represents a river. I don't know how that relates to Tempest, uh, but that's what Bob chose on this one.
0: I don't know how any of it relates to Tempest. Frankly, I don't know how the title relates to, you know, it's like a song about the Titanic, which, you know, famously sank because of a storm a big <laughs>
1: storm in the ocean yeah just like yeah. uh tempest the play or the tempest the play because i, I no, know bob is a, very persnickety about the difference between his album which is called tempest and shakespeare's play which is called the tempest, tempest. and yeah. bob does not like people to think they're named after the same thing
0: no it's very offensive to get your work confused with shakespeare's <laughs>
1: with a shakespeare play how dare you <laughs> Uh, it's a very red cover, uh, which suits it's, the album. It, 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 red it's in, is the cover of the love red. and blood and emotion and fury, uh, all of which I think is appropriate.
0: There's there's only a few Bob Dylan red albums, and mm-hmm. this is one of them for sure. This is one of the red ones. Triplicate, I think a lot of people don't red. they don't like this album cover. <laughs> like people uh, think it looks bad. I like that it just says Bob Dylan. Like I real big. the Bob
1: the Bob Dylan in the bottom in just like like what appears to be like time's new Roman and sort of just like a mustard yellow color is one of the funniest aspects of this cover to me. Yeah. Th-
0: like many <laughs> Dylan covers, it, it looks like their, their computer was just like broken and they had to <laughs> be like, well, we can't like move this image cause there's, there's this big black bar. Uh, we, this is what we have. <laughs> we just got like to with-
1: work with, with most of this already fixed in place
0: like the one uh, of um good as i've been to you where that y is like dangling down in this right. way that looks like completely ridiculous like uh very um graphic design is my passion yes. sort of look to it it's also
2: it's as mystifying as the album You just look at it and you, it sort of doesn't really Offer anything right. or make
0: much much sense? No, the and the black bar is strange to think about. It's like why why not just have it be all this uh, majestic red image of that uh, sort of uh, ecstatic woman, uh, the, this classical statue? They really take up like a quarter of the of the space with just black,
1: just a black bar,
0: Just the <laughs> abyss.
1: I always wonder how much direction and input Bob has in things like this. Like if he's sitting there like over the shoulder of the uh, uh, of his manager, just like reviewing 60 different Photoshop files and like, so not, like, that one, like not that one, not five
0: versions that have like a smaller black bar. And he keeps right. saying, hey, make it <laughs> a little can bigger, I- make a little bigger, make a little bit. Stop. <laughs> I can imagine that they had.
2: Perhaps there were fifty options and he picked the worst one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That checks out. That totally sounds like like every every one of them beating was like Okay, Um, I guess guess we gotta go get back on the bus or whatever.
1: (laughs) Uh, continuing the run also of Bob, uh, not putting himself on the cover of albums, which started with modern times and has extended up through rough and rowdy ways. The only exception to that being shadows in the night, but, uh, a man who liked to put himself on the cover of all his records for the first several decades of his career has, very much shied away from that in the 20s. I don't know century. if he liked
0: to, but he probably tolerated that they, the no, suits no, 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 no. told him. He
1: liked it. Come on, he looks so good on the, so, street, yeah. on the street legal cover. That's that's swag. Oh, that's a yeah. drip. Come on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> those, those flared out white jeans. Looking around the corner there. Yeah. I- iconic. Uh, well, the color of the album is scarlet.
0: Yeah. And, and we had just heard a song called Pay in Blood. A lot of blood, a lot of red, the color of life, the color of death. Red and black. And now we got Scarlet, Scarlet Town.
1: Scarlet Town. Scarlet Town. Side two, track one.
0: In Scarlet Town, where I was born. (laughs) That's where he was born. So... This is where Satan is from, perhaps.
1: Yes, precisely. Um,
2: it's a little backstory, right? I mean, he just <laughs> pillaged. The, he just, he just completely was a total savage and chopped people's heads off. There's politicians pissing everywhere. He screamed. He, you know, he just had his scream therapy.
0: I do wonder if this is sort of about where the character of Bob Dylan is from. Not, you know, like where. Where is Bob? Or the character
2: of the album. Yeah. You know, the the Scarlet Town.
0: Hmm. There's Ivy Leaf and Silver Thorn. The streets have names that you can't pronounce. Gold is down to a quarter an ounce. Also, I have to say it's another great riff. Yes. Ding, ding, Kudo, ding, ding. Kudos to the band. Yeah, this has sort of an eerie quality.
1: And yeah, yeah a great riff in such a different way than the great riffs yeah. like on Narrow Way and Paying Blood are. Like this is such mm-hmm. like a where those two are so hard and like cutting and sharp. This one is like really Beautiful. kind of it's yeah. it's like stately, it's measured, it's it's like it's it takes its time with itself. And I think Bob's mm-hmm. vocal like on this song you know, obviously the condition of his voice, I think, is something that a lot of folks uh, uh, get hung up on on this record. But this is as kind of like, you know, as kind of like pretty, I think, and mm-hmm. and um, uh, classically, you know, um, good, quote unquote sounding, uh, I think, as his voice gets on this record, which makes sense because it's a... It's a, it's almost like a, like a costume drama kind of sound to me. Like you, you, mm-hmm. you imagine, like a bunch of people on stage, like taking place in this, taking part in this play that takes place in Scarlet Town.
2: Yeah, I, and I, I think it's painting some kind of backstory for the character, right? Who he just sort of went on a tirade on the first, the, the end of the first side. Maybe he, maybe he felt like he had a little bit of explaining to do. I don't know.
0: <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of the uh, Tom Waits song, Town With No Cheer, which is also about a uh, miserable, hot town <laughs> full of desperate and sad people. The one That features a great uh, line. "And uh, the high noon sun beats 104, there's a hummingbird trapped in a closed-down shoe store. Uh that could be in Scarlet town too. I think a city where, uh, one of my favorite lines in Scarlet town is, um, in Scarlet town, you fight your father's foes. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting like, uh, uncle violence. Sort of. Yes. <laughs> New uh, type of violence.
1: Father's foes.
0: <laughs> you fight uh, your dad's, your dad's <laughs> enemies.
1: Uh, I see. I see. Thinking about it a little bit more, I see some similarity on certainly on the second side of Tempest. I think with like what he was doing on way, way, way back on um, times they were changing. Um, like I feel like I feel like Hollis Brown visited oh, yeah. Scarlet Town. Like mm-hmm. that's where he mm-hmm. bought his shotgun or something.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like a folktale. Exactly. Like oh. unraveling of a character. We're sort exactly. of
0: expanding the, the, uh, the, the crossroads metaphor into like a whole world. He's sort right. of like, mm-hmm. at, you know, you're at the crossroads. Like that's how I feel about a lot of the, the record. Like the Duquesne whistle and, and all of this stuff seems to kind of revolve around ideas of like an American, a sort of american but also it could be anywhere in the world kind of um like a a, a realm where where just like no good deed happens uh, it's sort of a a, a liminal uh, uh what's the word like a limbo
1: right yeah uh like um uh purgatory kind of thing yeah Yeah, I I think it takes it. it, uh, Honestly, similar vibes to like what's going on in Mass and Anonymous with a lot of that that kind of stuff. Just like all of these like ugly, down and out, like desperate kind of people that like can't help but be bad, despite whatever's in their heart or something. Like there's there's no good kind of um, outcome that's going to come for any of these people.
0: Yeah, if we're talking about the religious, uh, the potential that this may have been at one time meant to be more of a religious. Record like this. This song feels like sort of a Sodom and Gomorrah sort of exploration. Right. This kind of um, sinful, uh, just a uh, m- morally nowheresville, no man's land. Um. And also, I think the song brings some of the feeling that will be further just like blown out into its full flower on uh on a couple songs down the line with tin angel yeah oh boy yeah
3: the,
0: the sort of the sort of magical realism or or magical thinking that you get it's on soon after midnight even a, a song that is kind of the the lighter side of the same mode it, it it has kind of like the the desolation row extended universe feeling to all of these feel like sure. They, uh, they they kind of take place in this mythical, half-real landscape.
1: Musically, also, a very pretty song. Uh, there's a, a yeah. violin on this song that doesn't show up on most of the rest of the record. I think it's, it's either, according to the credits, either David Hidalgo on that or someone else that did the violin. Um, yeah. I've lost the tab here. Um, but then also a really pretty, just like, again, very like kind of calm and stately solo towards the end of the song. Um, not at the very end, but sort of like as a bridge between like uh, one of the last verses and the last verse. Um, that uh, it just like, so- it, it sounds like the kind of place where Bob would normally put a harmonica solo in. Is there any harmonica on this record? Do you guys know? I can't think of any off the top of my so. head. Oh, no. I don't think so. I don't know. I not think there is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's interesting. He's retired. The harp not off on the this top one. of my head. Yeah, um, but yeah, it just um, I don't know. This one, this one kind of sticks out musically to me from yes, a lot of the rest of the stuff here, just because it's so. It um, it fades as well. Some mm-hmm. of
2: this, like it's a some of the stuff. I wonder how it sort of came together in the studio too. Like, did he just have the band just play for fifteen minutes, right, and then? I sort of think perhaps he did do that and had all of his papers kind of in there and just was like riffing on his lines, you know yeah. um it feels that way to me, you know, and the fact that this one is fading out that it didn't really have a proper ending, I mean obviously they could've done that in the studio, but it just sort of fades out and it makes me think like, gosh, they probably played that for, yeah, for. <laughs> for a long time, because some of the other songs are quite long. Well, I think
0: just... it, that definitely comes through in, in just the almost oppressive atmosphere of the song. It's so thick with atmosphere. And yeah. that might that feels like something that can only happen when they really have been kind of like living with it for a minute. And, right. and lyrically, there's, there are some real standout moments. Like uh, in Scarlet Town, the end is near... The seven wonders of the world are here. The evil and the good live in side by side. All human forms seem glorified, and also uh, the line: "If love is a sin, then beauty is a crime." All things are beautiful in their time. The, the it's there's a lot going on there for sure. Uh it it just has such a um a, a luxuriant darkness this song
1: yeah yeah don't forget uh, you've got legs that can drive men mad a lot of things we didn't do that i wish we had
0: (laughs) yeah he doesn't oh boy there he goes again yeah (laughs) that brandy old man
1: lusty as ever if you thought he got all his horny out on the first side boy were you wrong but but (laughs) there's also
0: moments on the song that i think make the song work and and don't save it from being just sort of like uh you know b picture um spooky scary kind of creep fest because there are these moments that are more ambiguous like you know the music starts and the people all sway is one um the human forms seem glorified another and and of course uh just more innocuous lines like there's walnut groves and maple wood there's sort of these lines that don't have particular menace to them but um just help to. He's giving you
2: visual guides. Yeah,
0: it just it, it right. gives you like the he's doing the set dressing kind of for for this landscape for hell for hell. Yeah, <laughs> it does seem like hell, doesn't it? I mean that it would be the most obvious reading of Scarlet Town.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Gold's down to a quarter of an ounce. Uh, early Roman kings. I'm sorry to push us along. I no, just, no. I fucking We've love this it. song so much.
0: We're back it's such to a badass. A, song. A, a more uh I I mean I not I don't even want to say lighter, but like it's uh Well I have to say it's one of the most standard blues runs of all time.
1: Literally the most like if it's you like, just like you plugged in the, like blues. generic garage band music for like <laughs> blues dot MP three, this is what comes out. This straight
3: like up Siri, Siri blues. It, it makes <laughs> Van Morrison's exactly.
1: blues seem like uh, like
0: avant garde. This is just like the most straight up. It's the damn blues. Oh, it doesn't get any bluesier than this. And that's what, what is so great about the song. That's what's brilliant about it, exactly. Because but I'll tell you right, It's it's, you know. The
2: fact that, and again, Charlie Sexton makes it sound. Badass. Yeah, yeah. It has it's a swagger
0: like, to it, for sure. Like the way
2: that he's playing, I can hear him playing, like, a little slide on there as well. Mm-hmm. Just like and there's great little so um, uh,
1: shakers,
0: uh, mm-hmm. the... down the it. percussion, and
1: we can't... We certainly can't overlook the accordion here. We're back to accordion town. David that, Hidalgo. That most romantic boat, of instruments, sure. yeah. Absolutely killing it.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, the the,
1: are... the... Just, like, the, like, most... Stupid, simple, predictable blues riff imaginable, and then just this like extraordinarily creative lyric about the early Roman kings who are these characters who exist unstuck from time and are like dressed up in their shark skin suits it's like like this this song, I think the lyrics in particular are like like everything that Latter-day Bob, like 21st century Bob is interested in and likes writing about and has fun with, like this is all of that distilled to like the hardest, most direct kind of shot that you can take. Like he's just, he's having a fucking ball up here, just riffing these lines out.
0: The early Roman kings are kind of like a stand-in. I I, I, I think you could see see them as sort of like the, the horsemen of the apocalypse or like the, or the like personified greed of, of all people. They're, they're just these like completely corrupt, indulgent, like inhuman. They're like the Cenobites from Hellraiser, but they're, (laughs) but like, but the Bob Dylan version. There's a line in the song hell bent
2: for leather. I mean, these are like street, street hustler, big leather boot wearing like,
0: I th- I think they're that he's come, they're gonna come fuck your town up. He's literally <laughs> yeah. talking about early Roman kings, and he's literally saying they are wearing like clothes that make no sense for such people to be wearing. <laughs> he means he means it fully literally. It's like <laughs> I, I, I also I
2: have to say that I probably think he's he's obsessed with motorcycles and like biker gangs and stuff. He's yes. probably thinking like he's trying trying to correlate a street biker gang with oh, like yeah. some kind of
1: Roman King. It's funny you say that. Actually, I was pulling up the Wikipedia page for this. Dylan scholar, Tony Atwood has observed that the song seems to simultaneously reference the Roman Kings who were a Bronx based street gang in the 1960s and seventies, as well as the actual Kings of ancient Rome.
2: Okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. <Yeah.
1: laughs> uh, there's, I'm
0: just looking Nailed at the, that cri- ones, the critical reception of the song. Uh, Irish poet Paul Muldoon cited it as a, quote, particular favorite in a 2016 New Yorker story celebrating Dylan's Nobel Prize. Uh, critic Jud Baudon, uh, Baudon, Baudon, I don't know how to say his name, on Pop Matters called the song a masterpiece, it draws on various streams of American music, namely the blues and early rock and roll, with body, insistent rhythms, and fine, refined lyrics. The composition is a testament to the multitudes heard across Minnesota's native output. And my favorite ear, Grail Marcus has cited this song as one of his favorites on Tempest, calling it hilarious. <laughs>
3: I,
2: I also, I, it made me think cause I, I'm, I'm sort of, friend, I was friendly with Tony Garnier um, and I hung out with him quite a bit.
1: Yo, um, oh shit. No way.
2: Know, he, yeah. He, he played on my record previous, my left, my record before. Not Get out of town! Whoa! How did we not yeah, know yeah. this? Oh, I, I thought I thought you guys knew this. No, we, okay. Damn. Okay, so I I played. I even he even played some some shows with me and stuff, but he played on my record, and I got to hang out with him quite a bit. And we sort of became friendly, and he was telling me that they, I think, even probably around this time, like 2012, and for years they, well, Bob was obsessed with motorcycles and Tony also knows a lot about motorcycles and that was a big part of their friendship. But when they went on tour, for a while they had the Hells Angels doing security and they were also sort of sponsored by Harley Davidson. So they would, when they would show up, like for instance, they'd show up in like like Copenhagen, for example, and they would, go to like the headquarters of the, of the, the angels, the band would go and, and Harley would send bikes. And so then all the dudes would like get on the bikes and like, like romp around Copenhagen and then like go to the gig on the bikes and then the rest of the gear and all the crew would set up. And so the band and all the, and all the friends were, were, you know, showing up to the gigs on motorcycles. <laughs> so I think that there was, they were living this kind of, he was living this kind of biker, biker gang fantasies. So perhaps.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound cool perhaps, at all.
2: That, that, <laughs> is, what the hell? Wow. But perhaps he was, you know, thinking about the Roman kings and.
0: Yeah, the early Roman living, kings. Living that dream. I think you know?
1: that totally makes sense, especially if you think of like the Duquesne whistle. Uh, music video which like might as well be the early roman kings gang strutting around with bob leading them on the streets of mm-hmm. downtown los angeles like mm-hmm. that's that, yeah, that totally makes sense i mean this goes back
2: into his obsession with motorcycles the indian motorcycle and the famous sort of accident back in back in woodstock oh yes um but i think since then he's always He's always
0: been obsessed with motorcycles. he's still riding. Yeah, he was yeah. spotted riding around. Malibu? No, it was like in the middle. It was like in Wisconsin or something.
1: Yeah, someone said Wisconsin. Yeah. Wow. What he, was he's it, out said, there. Uh We we got to do a quick sidebar though. What was it like with Tony in the studio, Steve?
2: That was amazing. He was incredible. He's such a cool guy. He 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 was really open and told so many amazing stories and. I can imagine he he had this bass. He had an old like upright, and it was like day three. And I said to him, "I was like, what? How old is that bass? Oh, it's from 1850. It's so funny because my Jesus my electric. God. He's like he's like my electric bass. He had this Hoffner, not not a McCartney model, but like a big Hofner. My electric bass is from 1950, and this this upright is a hundred years, you know."
3: that's crazy 100 years earlier oh my god
2: and he, he lifted he lifted it up and he said check this out and it was an ins- It was inscribed charlie mingus on the side of it you're kidding no. me no i was like
3: Jesus. uh get out of like, here uh,
2: guys like come here for a second everybody Holy i just shit. want to show you something and he was just like yeah you know i Got this from a dealer, uh, you know, twenty years ago, and blah blah blah. Like, I mean, those guys collect the most. You know,
1: they've got. I can't even imagine what his the like, gear situation. Yeah, his personal studio looks like. So you had Charles Mingus's bass playing on your record by Tony Garnier.
0: Yes, hell yeah, is this, man!
1: Isn't that ridiculous? That fucking yeah. rocks. Yeah. So cool. <laughs>
2: that was. Yeah, and he's just the sweetest guy. It's, I mean, just the most incredible, intuitive musician I've ever sort of played with too. I mean,
1: he's amazing. Yeah, I'm sure he was able to just come in and immediately, yeah, lay it down, just start kicking ass. I mean, jeez, mm-hmm. I there probably isn't like a more like I don't even know what the right word is like deep. Yeah, just like someone who can like plug himself in in literally any circumstance and immediately just like do exactly what he needs to be doing whether it's just like keeping the simplest time possible or completely leading the song like on Duke whistle or something and,
2: and he's so intuitive and i mean when you see him play with Bob it's like they're walking you know anything can happen right and they're and that's that's a part of what they do and the, it's so there's so much intuition involved and the fact that Tony is the band leader and he's kind of has everyone. He's like watching everyone right. and watching Bob and like seeing what's going to happen and seeing where it's going to go and what's going to change. And it's just, yeah, it's really profound. It's really amazing. I'm looking yeah, at a you...
0: picture right now of Tony Garnier playing that upright bass. And I, I wonder if it's the one.
2: Yeah.
0: an upright bass. Wow. Can
2: you share, share it on the little thing? Uh, it's on
0: my phone here, but, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, probably if it's,
2: that's probably, I mean, yeah, that's probably the one. Looks
0: like it, yeah. Man. Damn.
1: He's looking very cool in that picture, just like fedora he's, and. Oh man, he's he's one old. of the
0: few people who can like wear <laughs> can any kind of hat pull, he wants. Any he kind of hat.
1: Wear, he can wear a fedora. It's... Him and Bob, both, whatever hats they want, No, no mocking whatsoever. And boxing. Boxing was a big one as well. Boxing. That also makes Tony, sense because Bob's got Tony, his fucking boxing ring. It's
2: yeah, like, Tony and Bob, like they really they they like bonded on the motorbikes and boxing.
1: Cool dudes. Oh my god, they rocked it. Man
2: one funny one funny aside, there was one funny aside that I'll mention when we were in the studio. We were watching the shreds videos.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Yes.
2: And like we we're like, oh, you know, and Tony's like,
0: I love those. I was like, let's
2: let's pull a couple up. We like would watch like Santana shreds, and he's like, "Oh, Bob
0: loves these." Really? (laughs) (laughs) No way. (laughs) That is so wow! (laughs) I'm just thinking. I could just just, like imagine him like with his hoodie, like on the bus, (laughs) like
1: he's just got his iPad in his lap with YouTube videos (laughs) just rolling one after the other. That's so good.
0: Wow. My Uh,
1: lord, he's
0: funny, man. I think he's yeah. uh, Of course. Hilarious. Dude. That's why I, I, I'm terrified for uh, him. If he were ever to hear this podcast somehow by accident, you know would, he will never. He knows what Shred's videos I don't know about are.
1: That. I guess that's true. I don't know about that. Maybe he. Maybe he. Uh, maybe the the Shadow Kingdom uh, live stream we did just popped up for him on the YouTube algorithm.
0: Yeah, if we ever get one dislike on that,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's man, we know where it, we know where it came from. Uh, all right, well, where were we? Uh, we're bringing it we're in, in, in.
0: We
2: were in Scarlet Town. Or no, we were in the early Roman Kings. Early
1: Roman Kings. Uh, and we're bringing it in uh, close here towards the end. The real the real heavy hitters are coming out now. Tin
0: Angel. This is a normal song. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's hard to yeah, say. It's how, super normal. I can't overstate how regular this song is. It's just like any song that you've heard.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, how long is this song? Nine it's... minutes long. Okay. Feels longer. The normal amount of time you spend on a song on an album. Nine minutes.
0: Uh.
2: Oh, man. Where do you start with this one? I don't know.
1: I mean. I I think this is clear. Like to me, this is clearly like like Bob writing his own version of like um, of, stack- w- of what <laughs> of like Stack Lee or something. Like you know the the kind of um, songs that he was uh, the covering on the on the early '90s cover records. These like murder ballads and stuff mm-hmm. um, that are just like these like kind of para- folk parables about these like fucked up people in fucked up situations, and that is for some reason, a lot of fun to sing about. Because <laughs> um, I think, like, the story that's taking place in Ten Angel is pretty similar to what you get on, like, um, not on Stack of Lee necessarily, but what's... I'm forgetting the one song. Very similar kind of story where the, the woman runs away with the guy and then the previous guy... Chases after him, and it all ends in tragedy and stuff.
0: Mm. To me, this song is just like you're watching a western, and then you fall asleep and you ha- are having a nightmare. But the movie is still on, and you're sort of getting like little hints of like a sort of a violent and and uh, double cross filled narrative. And, and but you, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, and you, it's just like not a good dream. You wake up, yeah. you're kind of like sweaty and like. You don't really know like where the last hours went. It it make for
2: me. It, I love it. I think it's like probably one of my favorite tracks, but it makes me really sort of scary. Like I lose the plot and I just start like staring. It doesn't there's really, a lot to keep yeah, up with. It's a it, lot. There's a yeah. lot to
0: keep up with and it doesn't really make sense like in a traditional way, but I, I think we've described it before or somebody, I think it was a listener who described it's, it as a, a medieval, uh, Western or something like that. It yes. and it, It's also a medieval say, spaghetti man, Western, is what they said. Yes. It's,
2: it could be like a rap. It's also almost similar. It has a very loopy kind of texture to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony, I have to say, Tony's bass line is really strong on this one. He's kind of leading, it's like a lead instrument almost.
1: Yes, yeah. The music on this is like almost kind of hypnotic, like yeah, it's like,
2: very, very hypnotic. Yeah,
1: it, like there's like sort of um, almost kind of like a I don't even know, like a like a Japanese kind of tint to the the rhythm or the the melody or something, like yeah. a chiming kind of. I'm I am not speaking about this in a very literate manner whatsoever, but at, at, I always get this kind of like. Easter, it has, East Asian it, kind yeah. of like like flavor to it when I listen. There's to There's an it, exotic
0: quality to it, and, and but it' not exotic from any particular tradition. It just kind of feels um, mysterious or, or outré in some way.
1: The song I was thinking of, Blackjack Davy, uh, from oh, okay. Goodbye right, NDU, yeah. which is which is the <laughs> woman running away with Blackjack Davy, the original guy that she runs away from. Chases him down. They, he he finds him on the on the bank of the river, and then uh, I think he ends up killing the guy. It's a murder uh, ballad for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, makes sense. But it's, you know, this is Bob's like weird, like late stage, nine minute long, completely fucked up and like, you know, cubist version yeah. of one of these like 19th century Appalachian, you know, folk songs.
0: Cubist. I don't think we've talked about a song as being cubist before, but I, I you're right.
1: I guess I've just got uh, old, old Picasso on the brain, maybe from your uh, MoMA adventure. They, they 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 got Picasso. They got some Picasso's kicking. Yeah, they got some. Yeah, a couple of those. A couple couple of those. One or two of them. Also, uh,
0: Tin Angel, song by Joni Mitchell. Uh, There's a song called Tin Angel by her.
1: Mm, Noted. uh, Mm. Noted. Not fan of Bob Dylan. Oh, I think
0: she she's a fan, Um, but I think she said something that also was disparaging of his later work.
1: I think she called him like a like a like a. (laughs) Like a serial plagiarist or something.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Wow.
1: (laughs) Tin Angel was a venue in Philadelphia as well, like an old sort of folky, seated venue. I've seen some shows there. What what does Tin Angel refer to? I'm not really sure. Is
2: is is it a reference to a sword? I I don't
1: know. Because He doesn't, like, the words Tin Angel don't actually appear in the song anywhere. No. he doesn't say like it i i have no idea
0: uh i think now would be a good time to maybe uh, mention a little bit of the interview he gave in 2012 where he gives this baffling digression um about transfiguration do do you have that ian
1: Uh, I don't have it uh, on right now, but we did uh, quote from from it extensively on the previous Patreon episode. Um, uh, Yes, I mean, he he sort of goes on and on at length about the difference between transfiguration and transmigration or something like that, transformation, uh, and gets really kind of wrapped up in sort of attacking the interviewer in a sense, <laughs> but also like attacking his own like interpretation of what people think of him. It's, it's a pretty brutal kind of interview, which makes sense for a brutal kind of record. You it, know? It,
0: it goes back Ooh. to this really bizarre, uh, uh, turn of events where a, a biker, we're back to the, that theme named Bobby Zimmerman, uh, died, uh, in a motorcycle crash. And, um, it was like around the, uh, Rolling Stone was apparently able to determine that the biker, Bobby Zimmerman died within weeks of Robert Shelton's 1961 review of Dylan's show at Gertie's folk city in the New York times, which catapulted Dylan into stardom. Um, so I think that there's some, that's sort of what he was saying was something about, like the death of this other man who basically shared his name kind of being uh like getting his life energy or I don't even begin. Yeah, to. it's like Twin
1: Peaks or something yeah. like Bob is like moving from host. Yeah, to Yeah, it's, it's so like some <laughs>
0: Kabbalistic uh, mysticism. It is really out there. And of course, this is also the interview where Dylan uh, says in in response to the Joni Mitchells and the people of the world saying, you know, he's a plagiarist when it comes to lifting lyrics or, um, text from other sources that, uh, only wussies and pussies care about sh- things like that. And, um, all those he's evil motherfucker. he was wow. talking about the, um, the guy who called him Judas <clears throat> and saying, uh, that, uh, like, imagine that saying, calling me Judas, like the man who killed Jesus Christ, uh, all those evil motherfuckers can burn in hell. Is that what he says? Yep.
1: Can burn uh, around skeleton. the time
0: of this record, uh, Dylan was saying stuff like that.
1: <laughs> he was having a good time. Uh, I should also note there's uh, there is I pulled up this this interview. There is uh, they questioned him about Ten Angel uh, and and uh, they said people come to hard endings in in uh, in some of the songs on Crash this record. Crash into the dust and Bob mm-hmm. says. The people in Frankie and Johnny, Stagger Lee, and El Paso uh, have come to hard endings too, and it's definitely it, it, and definitely it's that way in one of my favorite songs, Delia, which you covered on World Gone Wrong. Uh, I can name you a hundred songs where everything ends in tragedy. It's called tradition, and that's what I deal in tradition with a capital T. Maybe people have to have a simplistic way of identifying something if they can't grasp it properly. Use some term mm. that they think about they they can understand, like mortality. Oh, like, these songs must be about mortality. I mean, Dylan, isn't he an old guy? He must be thinking about that. You know what I say to that horse shit? I say these idiots don't know what they're talking about. Go find somebody else to pick on. Is he speaking to us? directly? Uh, It sounds like it, yes. (laughs) 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 These idiots, these three idiots, don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) We've got to go find someone else to pick on.
0: These dipshits. (laughs) All right, well, the episode is over. I'm Uh, Sorry.
1: Uh, Ten Angel, uh, really, uh, uh, you know. Th- well, a it's a traditional song, on, and on it's not about mortality.
0: And uh, <laughs> it's actually just about capital T tradition is, is what it's about. Yeah, capital T tradition. Yeah. I also, you
2: know, musically speaking, I think it's really sort of almost, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's avant-garde, but it's brave. And it's like really, yeah. It's a really long one. Yes, and it's just—it's so minimal. And yeah,
0: it's, he just gives it you that skeleton just, of, a, of a framework that then this it puts this this narrative yeah. front and center, and it is brave. And then okay. the the narrative is not traditional. I mean, besides being it's traditional, it's, it's not, yes, man. in terms of it being a murder ballad, and it's based on that form. But Dylan is, I think, being a little bit uh, disingenuous maybe when he says it's like, you know, oh, this is just like, uh, like El Paso. Like, you know, it's a little bit more. Yeah, it has an avant-garde feeling to it. It feels yes. like a um, pretty distinct variation that is, is very stylized of that form
2: right and there's there's a few characters like three or four or however yeah. many so many people get shot i mean there's a, the body count on this song in this record is 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 a lot yes there's a lot of people getting shot and bullets fired and stabbings and things but also there for this song particularly this song the narrative i wouldn't say it's nonlinear, but it's not. There's no it's real kind of resolve, a and
1: it, there's dream no logic to it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. You can not... you can tune into it and tune out of it as the right. song goes through, and like the right, different exactly. listens, you'll you'll pick up on different snatches. Like you know, sometimes you'll listen to minutes two through four and pick up what's going on there, and then other mm-hmm. times you'll get minutes six through eight or whatever. But it yeah, all. That's it's hard to yeah. keep a, a direct line all the way through all nine minutes. It's and, very And dream-like. the ending, it, right. it yeah, reminds totally. me
0: quite a bit of um, All Along the Watchtower. Um, There's a few Dylan songs that kind of have this sort of, this style of ending or this approach where he gives you just this, like, striking but non-re- but ir- irresolved ending. Like, uh, it just kind of, it's just a memorable, sort of cliffhanger. The way it ends with uh, all three lovers together in a heap, thrown into the grave forever to sleep. Funeral torches blazed away through the towns and the villages all night and all day. I mean,
1: grim. Pretty ugly ending. <laughs> at least in Blackjack Davy, like someone ends up living at the end of that song. This one is just like <laughs> death and destruction all comes night to literally and crucially
0: involved. all day. You know, the the death doesn't sleep,
2: <laughs> climb into and your grave. Yeah. When we're like talking about
0: sequencing me. and the masterful sequencing of this album,
1: can I oh, also please. just
2: quote one one great line from Tin Angel? That I really love as well. He's a gutless yes. ape with a worthless
1: mind. So good. Oh,
2: He's talking
0: man. about me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have next a little song called Tempest.
1: We're going to bring it back up. <laughs> we, we're, we're down. Yeah, we just spent nine minutes talking about death and destruction for everyone involved. Oh. Now we're gonna switch gears and spend uh, thirteen minutes talking about death and destruction for all involved. And instead of it being three people, it's gonna be three thousand people. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, we are switching gears, though. Let's 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 take okay. it up a exactly. we're, we're, we're going to a higher gear. We're dropping it into overdrive. We're ramping this up. We're ramping we're, this up. We're yeah. driving to the mill over 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 a field of bodies. We are <laughs> <laughs> Dylan on this record is doing the trolley problem, uh, but he's, you know, upset that you can't kill people both ways. You know? There's a, yeah.
1: He wants to switch it to both. Yeah, is
0: there a, is there a third option? Is there an option where I can kill <laughs> the one guy and the three guys? Uh, uh, uh this song has a, uh, it does have a different feel, though. It, 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 like, I think that Tin Angel is truly like the darkest feeling of, of the songs. It, mm-hmm. it has this yeah, kind yeah. of funereal grimness to the whole thing. And this song, based on a, a song by the Carter family, uh, which was extremely similar.
2: The pale moon rose in its glory Drifting from golden west He told a sad, sad story Six hundred had gone to rest He watched and was a-dreaming Yet dreaming a sad, sad dream He dreamed the Titanic was sinking Out on the deep blue sea
0: Although Dylan stretches it out into, I I think you know just what the logical uh, thing to do for, as a songwriter. You know, it's a a big topic, and it deserves to be longer than two minutes. He makes that Carter family song about the Titanic into a Titanic-sized song. It's a,
1: it's a big boat, so the song should also be
0: big. And uh, it has that lilting uh, sort of barroom drinking song type of feeling to it. Yeah, sea, sea, <laughs> he, he, sea uh, Once again,
1: yeah. predicted the future and, and anticipated sea shanties coming back for whatever reason.
0: That hasn't really uh, held, you know? That was a fla- that was a yeah. momentary thing, but uh, in the world of Bob Dylan, that's always in style.
1: Of course.
2: And the, I think for this this song, the sort of perspective changes. It's more like voyeuristic rather than him embodying satan he's more being he's being like factual just kind of stating he's unra he's sort of like unraveling the mm-hmm. events that are happening in like a almost in like a almost like in like a reporter yeah. kind of way where he's like writing writing down as this huge Ship starts slowly sinking, and bodies start piling so, up in, together in a
0: sort of novelistic way, too. Because he he has sort of an all seeing eye, yeah, where he he can fly around the ship, he can see into everybody's hearts and minds, and he <laughs> throws Leo in there, which of course is so funny <laughs> that it seems the
1: whole song could be about the movie, The Titanic. But so, like, good and so, like, so, like, true to Bob's character, I think, going right back to the very beginning and his interest and ability in knitting together fact and fiction the same way that he did on Desolation Row and, like, putting all of these people together into the same place. Yeah, exactly. Um, You Uh know, it all – it's all – like, you know, if any of us think about Titanic, of course our minds go straight to the fucking movie and Leonardo DiCaprio. Same thing mm-hmm. for him. And so like there's no there's no need to like fight against that or, or or um uh or act like that isn't true. And and in fact what he does is like acknowledge that and work it into the song and I think make it all the stronger for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, if I was James Cameron, I would mm-hmm. be so flattered that Dylan is basically just acknowledging what everyone knows, that the Titanic movie, I mean, it's a, it's basically the biggest movie there ever has been, in, or it was for the longest time. It's a huge cult. Biggest boat. Yeah, it's the, I'm talking about the film.
1: <laughs> big, and, big, oh, big movie, big boat. Big boat. Big song. A lot
0: of big cultural big impact uh, of that movie, you know, is you can't ignore it. And so he's just like, well, throw it in there. It's it's uh,
1: got to make it Leo.
0: In.
2: I, I also think we we're talking about how Bob is funny. I still think that he plays with humor and I think humor is an uh, an important part of his writing style and he's a cheeky bastard.
0: Oh a hundred percent.
2: I think he can kind of throw in certain subtleties that might confuse people. And that's that's a way of that's the way a game that he kind of can 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 play with such a it's such a brooding serious sentiment over this whole album. The fact that he like name drops Leo
0: <laughs> he, like it could be track. a coincidence. It a nice to you me, it's, know, it's a wink it, at the audience. Yeah, it, it's like because yeah. then he mentions Clue <laughs> It's hilarious. the hell is that? You know. Yeah. Uh, the, if you listen to Theme Time Radio <laughs> Hour, which is you know one of the great joys of life, is to listen to that program. Um, it it really does sort of um, elucidate some of the the tone. Like his whole sense of humor comes across. Like you start to. As you were saying, Steve, like you just see, like, you can tell more more often when he's mm-hmm. being uh, silly or having some fun with in that way because mm-hmm. that show it, he's if if anything comes across in that show, it's that he's he doesn't feel like he's above like so much music that you would maybe think oh Bob Dylan doesn't know that but he. He'll he'll just be like, this is yeah. uh he'll play novelty <clears throat> tracks. He loves goofy stuff. And he's into current music as well.
2: I know you know he's like you yeah, yeah. know, he's got a Spotify on his iPhone with his little I his little earbuds. Yeah, and he's <laughs> he's like he's, he's he's he has I really do think he's like present in the world and with music and you know, I think he's still listening and and just occasionally, you'll hear you'll get you'll hear him give praise to somebody. Almost, not, I wouldn't say at random, but sometimes you'll hear him name drop somebody. And you're like,
0: whoa, like yeah, and you can never guess who who's gonna <clears throat> be. Well, you yeah. s-
1: I mean you see that you see that proof positive in Shadow Kingdom for instance where he pulls Buck Meek out of Big Thief to like play in his backing band with him like he must have know he must have been listening to yeah. some Big Thief records if he's going to bring that guy in to like actually play That's with him right. on his first thing that he's done in like wow. several years yeah. right it's not like he just got drafted out of nowhere right um yeah, he's he's completely. I mean, you might you might now. not
2: see him at Bowery Ballroom, you know.
1: <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you're not you're not going to list him at um, the uh, uh wi- the Williamsburg Hall of Music.
0: The Echo Plex.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Um Tempest, what a song. Uh beautiful. I think it's it's such a perfect kind of uh crystallization of like everything that's going on on this record everything that he himself is about because it's it's funny like we were talking about it's brutal in that it's about all of this death and destruction it, but there's also like this greater kind of like I don't know, this like universality to the song, I think, or this like, this like, there's a lot you can read into it. It, it exists as this parable. Like, I, I have this like major kind of like environmentalist kind of reading mm-hmm. of this song to me, mm-hmm. that, but yeah. that's like yeah. not there on the surface whatsoever. Um, like you can completely listen to this just as a straight kind of like recitation of what happened with the Titanic. Polishing the
0: brass on the Titanic, as the saying goes,
1: it's, it's it, well, it's the folly, it's the folly of man attempting to sail this big ass boat across the ocean. Yeah, to a with golden age people.
0: foretold.
1: Yeah, and uh, what do you know? You run into a giant ass iceberg. The,
0: the, there's a a device in the song of the Watchmen. Who the Watchman yes. is sleeping, and it's he's quite sleepy. It's implied that it, the whole song may, may be like uh, the vision that he's having, like sort of Final Destination style uh, right. of the uh, disaster that's about to unfold. the The Watchman he lay d- dreaming, and my favorite line: uh, he dreamed the Titanic was sinking, and he tried to tell someone. That seems to be maybe. The analog for for Dylan himself—that's like the hack reading of it, I guess—but you know, good, valid as any. That the Watchman sort of warning people, or like having this apocalyptic vision—probably not. He would probably deny that to the ends of the earth. It's also—I
2: think that what's cool about the, how long it is and that it doesn't end—is he's in. You know, you could tell the story, obviously, very truncated and shortened, and you could maybe list a couple examples, but he just keeps going on with each so many examples. Yes. And it's almost as if he's trying to paint the whole picture of the suffering, yeah. I guess. And the fact, I mean, obviously, it's intentional that it's its not just some random 13-minute track that like he yeah. wanted to include. Every character in that, and there's so many people, and it's like this rolling list of experience, and just kind of keeps going and going and going. So it's sort of, I guess, it it kind of tries to depict how big of a sort of disaster it was. I guess totally. Um,
1: and yeah, the form I think the form and the content like kind of are inextricably linked here because you're totally right. He could like. He could have cut this down to a four-minute song and, like, just use the strongest verses and the strongest images and it would have been fine. Or, but you know, like, like the two-minute version where it's like,
2: the big old ship had sunk and, yeah. and they're <laughs> exactly. all
1: dead. But he's,
2: it, he's, he's giving you, a, he's visualizing, mm. he's guiding you more, like, in more, in more detail
1: exact yeah. as a listener it's like an experiential thing like you need to hear him go on and, on and on and on and on and on and on for 14 minutes on this song and like have this kind of feeling stack up on you and mm-hmm. it just keeps coming back and back and back again and again mm-hmm.
0: i think that's important because the the actual event that he's talking about is something that has become almost like uh it's like almost like how nine eleven seems to be starting to be this way for, to a lot of younger people. It's kind of just like, you know, almost a punchline. Like, it, it just becomes kind of, like, empty of right, the real Right, it's just like a cultural, gravity. like, totem. Yeah, exactly. And the, the relentless insistence of this song on just going and going and going, it forces you to reckon with the fact that this is a real thing that actually happened. And it's the first time on the record... You know we're kind of coming out of all of these songs that have been more or less fanciful, and they're uh, as violent and as as um, yeah, they're uh, all like fairy tales. They're all stories. Yeah, they 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 are like particularly brutal Grimm's fairy tales, uh mm-hmm. with Tin Angel especially. But toward the end of this record, with this song and the and the closer, it actually comes back around to being real. real. You start to look at those other songs, even I think with. A bit more gravity. Well, it's like
2: fetishized. It's like the sort of death and 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 sort of sexy, the seediness and the yeah. As it, the, it's
0: almost like a form, like a really grisly slapstick earlier on. I think when you reassess <clears throat> the record, when after you come to the end here, and we'll definitely get into that with the next track too. It the whole thing starts to um it, ca- you know, it has more gravity. Uh, it kind of carries more, more freighted with real meaning. Yeah. I agree.
2: Because this one, he's not he's not messing around, talking about some of the more savage sort of situations. Obviously, it's a very gruesome.
0: The whole sequence where he talks about men rose up against uh, like brother against brother. There's like violence of every I forget the exact line. Yeah, brother um,
1: rose up against brother. In every circumstance, they fought and slaughtered each other in a deadly dance. They lowered down the lifeboats from the sinking wreck. There were traitors. There were turncoats. Broken backs and broken necks. And that's really know, how yeah. it went
0: down. I'm sure that, it that, do
1: be like that.
0: There's also that really touching line about um, the the little crippled child. Is that what he says? Like he, the man gave his seat to him on the lifeboat.
1: Uh, yeah, Jim Dandy smiled, he'd never learned to swim, saw the little crippled child, and, and he gave, gave his a seat, seat to him. him. This is it, this is it. This is everything all at once. This is the, the highest highs of humanity, the lowest lows thrown into sharp relief against this uh, striking man-made tragedy. And
2: another thing, too, is it also is still dreamlike. And the fact that he ends the song with... It was like the watchman lay dreaming
1: the watchman thing. literally dreaming like he's yeah. dreaming
2: that I mean obviously it happened, but he kind of closes out he ties up the whole narrative with the watchman yeah. dreaming
0: he dreamed the Titanic was sinking into the deep blue sea uh there's also that line the watchman he lay dreaming. Uh, at 45 degrees which I love just the idea of like it's like like the tramp uh, uh like uh sort of like silent film character just sort of like me me, me, me me at like a sharp angle uh as the ship is like poking out of the water yeah and and it really does seem to be about how The rich, the poor. I mean, there's lyrics like that, too.
1: Yeah, uh, when the reaper's task had ended, 1600 had gone to rest. The good, the bad, the rich, the poor, the The loveliest loveliest and and the the best. best. Rich or poor, you're not getting out of it alive.
2: I mean, it almost almost kind of can be a metaphor or correlation to something like 9-11 or some other disaster where he's being, he's showing a sense of empathy and he's showing a sense of telling a story trying to tell as many stories as he, he can depict in, in a 13 minute
0: song. Um, if any, any songwriter who's serious, like tried to write a song about a tragedy of the scale, I I think that would be a really hard thing to do. Yeah, I think for sure. it, it's, it's considered a lot of people just, I think saw this song and thought of it as a joke and thought like, that is goofy. That's ridiculous. But, uh, what it is is it's ambitious, and I think that he pulls it off. And not that many people are even willing to try to to do that. A lot of songwriters, I think, don't want to put themselves in that position because it is a terrifying position to be in as an artist to try to make a, make a work of art about something so uh, so monumental. For sure, in its tragic scope.
2: Yeah. You don't want to belittle, you know. You don't want to like belittle the situation by any means.
0: Some of the best songs that are written about things like that, they do it really well by writing about, like using a metaphor or like shrouding it in some uh, sort of indirect way. Um, Yeah, there's a great song by Scott Walker, which is called Jesse, which is a very you know as Scott late period Scott Walker is. It's extremely uh cryptic yeah um but it uses the metaphor of Elvis and his stillborn twin brother as sort of a metaphor for the twin towers oh my god it's a crazy like that the there's that's one way of writing a song about like the most intense tragedy and so he never got laughed at when he made that song if anybody even made those connections but Dylan went ahead and just did it with, with the song. And, uh, I, I think if you really listen to it, you won't be laughing by the end of the song,
1: but it's not too much of a, like it, it, for me, at least, I, I don't I don't end this song on the same kind of down note that I get with Ten Angel, for instance. Like there is something like there's a resolve. Kind of, yeah. yeah,
0: it's ultimately really human. Is how, yeah, exactly. Is, I think that's it's what like pulls re- reaffirming it reaffirming
1: or something towards the end.
0: Yeah, that's what brings it home. Is that you? You could have been on that boat. You could have on the boat on that ship. You could have <sighs> been there, and. It doesn't, you know. The Watchman,
1: he lay dreaming. This didn't actually happen. It doesn't need to happen like this. We can avoid it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. I think it's probably more like we can't avoid it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so you got to find peace within that. It's certainly
2: not as brutal as the other material that came that came before on the record. Of course, the
0: the buoyant the buoyancy of the of the music of the song keeps so much fun. Yeah, it 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 just uh, it's something you can sway to, and sip your beer.
1: Yeah, you just want to take a mug and raise your glass, throw your arms around your friend, and sway side to side
0: as the ship goes down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's uh, let's bring it home with uh, oh well, no, it's not a song that's happy it's uh it's another song about death um a song about <laughs> the death of uh maybe one of the twentieth century's uh most vital and um uh lasting cultural figures besides Bob himself uh that would be of course John Lennon roll on John to uh close it out here a nice seven and a half minute meditation on. John Lennon's journey into the afterlife. Love this. Something easy. What do you think of this song, Steve? I, lo- I really um, love this song. Love I'm glad. So much, yeah. A um, lot of people, like, see, Evan, you said that, like, uh, you know, people seem to dislike Tempest, uh, and, you know, I think if any if there's something that a lot of people did dislike about Tempest, it's this it's song. This song like, a lot that, yeah. of people think this song is so, like, Cloying and trite and corny and or something. Like
2: uncharacteristic but, of the rest of the record.
1: Right. But that like I think that's but, I think like the sentimentality and the naked honesty that he <clears throat> writes this song with is is what makes it so great to me.
2: I also think that yeah. Dylan probably gets some satisfaction in upsetting these people as well. Totally. Because he just doesn't give a shit. And he probably just you know came up with this song and decided to do it at the end of the session you know exactly um, and he has obviously every
3: <laughs>
2: right to do that um I, I i think it's interesting and for me it's i love this song also it's a very touching and it's it's so cool yeah. that i mean there's so many curveballs in this record which to me is fascinating and that's part of his whole mystique. Um, and this is definitely a curveball, but it's a good one. And I think that he's, the fact that he's showing his sort of like sentimental soft side and he's singing a song about his friend is, it is it is uncharacteristic of everything that, that had happened, particularly if you go back to a song like Pain, Blood, and then suddenly at the end there's a song about his like good buddy. It's like super sentimental. Um, I think it's, I think it's really heartfelt and I think it's real. And I think that it's, it, I don't think for he would me, have
0: done it otherwise. No,
2: of course. And for me, it, it ties in with the sentiment of the record and it, and it seek again, like the sequence is perfect. Like he just, exactly this was this unraveling of pain and suffering and then he caps it with a with a sort of personal tribute to someone that he, you know, really cared about and was a good friend to him and an important person and, and
0: and somebody who, as I've pointed out on the show before, it's like there's not that many people in history who have had any kind of experience that could be called similar to Bob Dylan's, except maybe. A few, Mm -hmm. one of which one of whom is is uh, John Lennon in terms of like the level of stardom and and, you know, being branded as sort of a creative uh, firebrand and all of this. uh, it, It seems like. That, you know, the weight
1: of a generation being foisted upon you, even <coughs> even though you didn't ask for that necessarily. Yeah, even, you even just wanted so, to play some nice songs.
0: Maybe maybe John Lennon asked for it a little
1: bit more, a little more than Bob, perhaps. But
0: but not all the. T- you know that's that that would be reductive to say. It, it seems like it's not only a song about somebody he knew, but sort of the song about like just an artist, like a fellow artist, somebody else who was trying to. Put something beautiful across in in their work and in in the world, and who was just taken away. You know, uh, someone who could you know could have been Bob. There was times when yeah, when absolutely. Dylan was afraid that people, some maniac was going to shoot him and we'll never know how close that came to happening. I'm sure it probably yeah, if, did. If
1: AJ Weberman was just like 5% crazier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, yeah. This, <laughs> That could have been curtains for Bob in 1971. I mean, his,
2: his stalker list is, is pretty intense. I'd imagine, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, no, no, uh, it's, he definitely lives in that compound in Malibu for a reason. Yeah, I
2: actually was there. I walked by there. Not the last time I was out in L.A. I walked
0: by his hand. Yeah, it's a fortress. Yeah.
2: It's like Fort Fort Knox, man. There's like a camera and a gate and like a little hut where someone's in there. And yeah, I kind of peeked over the fence and saw like an old beat up car.
0: Uh, A a bullet whizzed by your head. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I read recently that... um, the, like the security folks there Like if you if you show up And you're not supposed to be there And you say like oh, I'm, I'm looking for Bob Dylan's house I'm trying to go see Bob Dylan They'll just say like Oh you're at the wrong place This isn't Bob Dylan's house yeah. And they just send you <laughs> like, as, if, as if anyone's gonna believe that The, right. the, the enormous Malibu compound That's... With Bob's hand wrought <laughs> iron sculptures Outside <laughs> of the gates and stuff No this isn't him You're, you're at the wrong place buddy yeah.
0: Back to the song I think that uh it's one of the most beautiful songs uh, musically on the record.
1: Or I think perhaps the most the beautiful songs. I think on the it's
0: in the running for the most beautiful songs by Dylan just musically. Like mm-hmm. it's up there with like every grain of sand or like Sad Eyed Lady. Like I just think it's so uh it, it says so much before he even utters a word that um it's heartfelt. It's it's
2: so palpable that it's like it's it's just extremely like
1: heartfelt delivery. Which is what makes it all the more powerful coming the last song on this record where he's just been, you know, down in the muck and the grinding mud. Grinding my life out. Yeah. Grinding his life out, exactly. The politicians pumping out the piss. Mm-hmm and then here at the end it's literally like you know you burn so bright roll on john just like the sweetest simplest kind of most heartfelt sentiment mm-hmm. the, the
0: way it 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 comes into uh being like that when you first hear it it just like has this totally organic like super gentle yeah it feels sort of, it, effort, sort of like, effortless yeah. yeah it just blooms quietly into into being and um then that uh is it a mandolin Comes in, or is it a guitar? That it, it sounds it's like a mandolin. mandolin. Yeah, yeah. It's such a sweet, sweet melody, and it's got that like rarest of things that you always want to hear. Uh, like it, it reminds me of the demo version of "Every Grain of Sand," where you hear that like few seconds, uh, that snatch of just like glorious, uh, quiet playing before mm-hmm. the song really picks itself right, up it
1: fades in. And yeah. I
0: think that they probably were just kind of pl- like noodling around a little bit. And then the song just kind of happened in the studio. I forget who, uh, but I, somebody who was recording it, it could have been Tony Garnier in some interview was saying that they were playing the song and it took a while for them to really realize like what was being said in the song. And then they they realized like, wow, this is, this is heavy. Yeah.
2: It's extremely personal, you know? And I think that like, the fact that he ends the record with like a really detailed sort of tribute, uh, particularly focusing on his personal pain with, you know, with someone that he lost is, is a great way to end this record because it goes all over the place. Yeah.
1: It throws everything that came before into stark relief where like it, lest you think that he's being too kind of like, you know, coy and too like glib about all this death and destruction. Like no, like no. I, you know, I th- this shit is still serious. Like I, you know, that here's here's what I actually think about all this stuff when it's mm-hmm. someone real, something real that happened to me. But I, I, who I knew.
0: would push back a little because I don't think that it's so much about happening to him because Dylan does not put himself at the center of the song. Like crucially, I think what what really makes the song work and what what makes me so surprised when people call it corny is that a lot of the lyrics that aren't, you know, just the, the main refrain, uh, or of shine your light, move it on. You burn so bright roll on John. Like the other lyrics are as lyrical as, um, as visionary and poetic as anything he's ever written. And they aren't necessarily like, it's not so obvious what, what he's doing. Um, it, it's it's a metaphorical song and like sailing through the tr- there's a, a nautical sort of bent to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Sailing through the trade winds, bound for the south. Rags on your back, just like any other slave. They tied your hands and they clamped your mouth. Wasn't no way out of that deep dark cave. Like that is not obviously about anybody, let let alone uh, not to mention John Lennon. Um. But there's these little hints that that remind you that it's about John Lennon, and it's more in the space of those like where you start to fill in the gaps and think, "Oh, well, what is this guy? What does this line mean in this context?" That it really starts to feel more personal. Um,
1: all the John Lennon lyrics. Well, yeah, yeah. I heard the news today, old
0: boy. Yeah. Come together over me. Come, yeah. Now the city's gone dark. There is no more joy. And I think it's, uh, one, one detail I like is that, uh, he says they shot him in the back and, and down he went. He doesn't even deign to give a name or even a singular, he doesn't really reference the actual killer in any sort of specificity. It's a, they, Mm -hmm. it's just like, it, it, it could be anything, you know, any evil group, any, it, it doesn't, uh. Even
1: well, it's everyone collectively. Everyone that that uh, conspired to produce this one particular human being, who was the one who actually manifested the reality, It wasn't just his fault alone.
0: Yeah, he, T- and he, too he, late now to sail back home. There's a sailing thing. Through there's the a home. nautical theme. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's almost like a, a folk. It's you know, it's a folk. He spins it, the story of John's life, like from the Liverpool docks. Like he's
0: kind of saying yeah, from the, be- the docks yeah. from the
2: beginning of his life. And he was obviously went through a lot of pain in his life with playing to the of big
0: crowds, playing to the cheap seats and the stuff with his,
2: the, you day know, in the like life. losing his mother and going through serious bouts of depression um, and coming out of it. And I don't know he's sort of singing. It's almost as if it's like a, you know, John Henry Stagger Lee folk style character.
1: Totally. I see that character
2: based song. But it's actually yeah, it's like a
1: larger than life kind of figure. But it,
2: yeah. And he's also tying in his friend's story and someone obviously yeah. who's a very important person, but it's like a personalized version of that. And it's like the fact that he lets, he opens that window to himself a little bit and makes himself vulnerable. You know, I think it's easy for him to tell a folktale about blood guts and gore and fetishized, sort of bosoms and blood and you know like the gory aspect of of folk folk tradition but to actually like step into it and and you know be vulnerable and and have a personal account of losing a friend like that's not easy to do and no and and the
0: song the whole record leads up to that and yeah yeah that's that one glimpse that moment of actually uh, yeah a sense of vulnerability and it's the same sense of vulnerability that I think uh, is there on like it's all over now baby blue like a song that has that e- extremely high intensity uh, poetic pitch and, I and you're yeah, gonna I think say the poetic piss po- no, poetic, <laughs> po- poetic pitch like it's a, it's really that's you know obviously one of his greatest uh, lyrical achievements and musical achievements and I think what makes that song so memorable is that for some reason I think everybody gets the sense listening to Baby Blue that like he's kind of there in there he's standing there a little bit more vulnerable maybe mm-hmm. just by a tiny bit but noticeably a little bit more there than he usually is. And this song is really profound in that you get that same sense of Dylan's presence as just a, as, as a man standing uh-huh. there singing this song uh-huh. and, and he's also giving it, uh, it's like, a, but unlike baby blue, which has this sort of, um, uh, personal reckoning to it. This kind of, it's, it's an extremely personal song or maybe a little cynical even Mm -hmm. this is like that same level of personal investment but he's directing it out where he's choosing to fill it with light
2: i would go as far as to say it's a milestone in his career to me it's 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 one of the songs that's you can that's palpable you can really kind of get a sense of his personal personal pain i guess not to get overly sort of sentimental but
0: no, I think that's totally right. Uh, we have now the gift of of knowing that this wasn't his last album of originals. Thank God. And we can yeah. look back now and see that everything that's good and great about Rough and Rowdy Ways, I, I feel like is represented here in equal measure, but with a different uh, approach. I think it's just as good as that record mm-hmm. um, and should be talked about and considered with a little bit more uh, of a sense of... Uh, how just how much it is as good as as anything he's ever done
1: on that note we haven't been doing this lately because we haven't been doing regular bob dylan albums but we got to bring it back since we're doing a regular bob dylan album how many stars what's the what's the rate like how many three okay
2: I'm gonna. Should I go first? Yes, Steve, please. I'm going a solid three. Love it.
1: Three for me, Evan. Three. Shocking. <laughs> four. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You it's don't three. get four. No, no, no. It's three. The coveted uh, Jokerman triple three star rating. That's right. That's as good as it gets across the board. Yeah. No complaints from anyone here. Well, uh, I think we did Tempest Justice to a cool two and a half hours. I think so. <laughs> I'm at two hours twenty nine. Thank you so much for sticking with us once again, Steve. I literally can't imagine uh that uh that anyone would uh, be willing to put up with our ridiculous uh, desire to dive this deep into. A 2012 Bob Dylan album, but you Uh, you mean one of the greatest albums? uh, One of yes, that is what I mean. But you have once (laughs) again brought sage wisdom and uh, some fantastic stories, uh, uh, as you did last time. And pure class. Run, don't walk to your local record store. Pick up "Other You" out on Matador. 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 Yes, yes. the -hmm. great Matador.
2: Yes. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Steve.
2: I could keep going. We could even go to track one and start over again. I've learned a lot. I feel like we're in some sort of college...
0: Class I th- I, yeah, yeah. Feels like we, this is actually yeah. a credited course. Yeah. If you listen to Joker Men, you can. Um, okay, good, good. You can apply that to um, <laughs> becoming a. Um... Yeah, Evan and I are uh, associate professors at NYU. <laughs>
1: yeah. This is just the the, oh, the weekly oh, okay. lecture that's going out in a couple weeks. Excellent. <laughs> well, see you on campus. Joker men.
3: Tell me the time of day Another bottle's empty Another penny spent He turned around and he slowly walked away They
1: shot him in the back and down he went
0: You've so and
3: I'm rolling down.